uh, we are going to continue on in our gathering and also continue on in the Sermon on the Mount. If you've been with us um, for any length of time, and many of us are new since August, we started this sermon series in August in Matthew chapter 5, and we're continuing on now uh, deep into the last chapter of the Sermon on the Mount, which is Matthew chapter 7. And as we do so, um, I'm compelled to just ask us a question, and then I think Jesus has asked me some questions that I want to relay to you as our three main points. But before we get to those questions, let me ask you this one. Lots of questions today, apparently. Um, what do you do when you want to give up? And you might think to yourself, well, I don't really feel like giving up. Surely you've given up on something. And I'm talking about your faith. I'm talking about walking with Jesus. Um, if you don't know this, there was a statistic that was published this last week that in America, in these good old United States, for the very first time in its history, uh, church membership has dropped below 50%. Not church attendance, church membership. It's about 47% as of 2020. So you might think, well, surely the pandemic had something to do with that. Like I said, not church attendance, church membership. Belonging to a people. Committing yourself to a people that you are committed to their good and, you, and they're committed to your good. Covenanting with them in such a way as it reflects a marriage, like truly. That there is a partnership there, a membership there, a belonging, and a becoming together, being shaped into the image of Jesus together. Now, you and I both know that that is harder. Um, if you've done church for any length of time, you know that that's a little bit more difficult than what we may uh, lay out for you in a partnership class on a Saturday, right? It's, it's a difficult road, but it's one that we believe the Scripture teaches and one that we are wholly committed to. As a result, so my question again is, what do you do when you want to give up, when you want to give up on people, when you want to give up on your marriage, when you want to give up on the Lord, when you've pressed into him, you've done all the right things, so to speak, you've gone to church, you've given, you've been faithful, you've even put out chairs, you even put them up on occasion, you've served in the toddler area, I mean, you have given your everything and your faithfulness to Jesus, and he just simply seems distant, and it's not just a little distant. You've prayed for a long time, and those prayers have just gone up to the ceiling and fallen right back in your lap. That's what it feels like anyways. If you've not experienced this, it's on the way. If you have experienced this, then you know exactly the kind of feeling and the turmoil that goes along. Because when you've looked to God and you don't get the answer, where do you turn? Jesus today is going to invite us. See, I'll tell you, just, I'll just be candid. When we do church planting Sunday, there's a part of me that gets super excited about it. I'm like, come on, baby, let's do this thing. And there's a part of me that gets super frustrated. Because now for six years, we've said we want to be a church that plants a church. And we have sent money to churches to plant churches, and that's one way to do it. And we've prayed for churches to continue to rise up, and that's another way to do it. And we support our friend in South Asia, and he plants church like we drink water. I mean, it, dude has like 300 churches underneath him in India. That's how they roll in India. He just walks into, into it, literally, this is how they plant churches in India. He walks into a village and he goes, you're the leader. You're the pastor. You're up, Kyle. Doesn't matter what you're up to. Doesn't matter, man. You're in. And you're now the new church planter. It's a little bit different here in the States. Smidge. We might could learn some things, though. But seriously, what do you do when you can't, when you can't see, when you don't see kind of the fulfillment of what you sensed God saying to do? What if you, what if you can't shake 
that addiction? What if you're continually dabbling in that sin? Is God unfaithful? I mean, you've cried out to him. You're longing for him. See, I think that we're in a critical juncture, not just in this country with church membership, but also in the Sermon on the Mount. If you've been reading along, and I am going to refresh our memory of what we've been reading about, I would imagine that Jesus probably felt this way when he starts to preach Matthew 7, 7. I think he knew exactly what you're about to feel, especially as he preached these things, not over six or eight months, but in about a 30-minute, 20-minute span. I mean, he is... He is giving them all that they need to flourish in the kingdom of heaven. So let's just take a little journey here into what we have listened to over the last several months. You see, in a world which celebrates self-reliance of, and labels people that ask for help as weakness, Jesus comes in and tells us to ask. Jesus comes in and tells us to seek. Jesus comes in and tells us to knock. And my question is, what are we asking for? What are we seeking? What are we knocking on? What are we actually pursuing God for? And I think it's because we really don't know what kind of needs that we have. And so if we would just remember what Jesus has put before us, I want us to just kind of score ourselves here and how we're doing so far in the Sermon on the Mount. If you remember, the last week was about judging other people and condemning them. Okay, we're already at strike one. Perfect. Right? We've, we just read the golden rule, so whatever you wish others would, uh, would do to you, you do also to them. This is the law and the prophets, it says in Matthew 7, verse 12. I would imagine that we're not doing that awesome. If you keep backing up into chapter 6, don't be anxious about anything. Over and over again, we walk through that with Lent. Before that, it was don't serve the God of money by accumulating stuff. I don't know what you did yesterday, but I spent my morning shivering in my driveway, having a garage sale. This would be a good indication I have served the God of accumulation in my life. That I have other stuff that I'm not willing to give to people, I have to sell it to them. Oh, help me, Jesus. Beyond that, right, be a person who fasts and prays and gives for your Father alone who rewards. Don't do those things to be recognized by others. Before that, it was love your enemies. Pray for those who intend to hurt you, who want to harm you, who seek to kill you and wound you to persecutors. Before that, it was be generous to those who hurt you, who demand things from you. Be a person of your word in Matthew 5, because every word is as good as an oath. How are we doing? Don't be quick to divorce or end your relationships. It would continue to back up on. If you have lusted, you've committed adultery. If you've been angry, you've committed murder. And God doesn't want that for you. He wants to be a reconciling person. He wants you to be a reconciling person. To the person that you know has something against you, you go and reconcile with them quickly. You have a righteousness, he says. You must have a righteousness better than the best, better than the Pharisees that are amongst you, better than those that are known for following God with their heart, soul, mind, and strength. You've got to be better than that. He goes on to say, and he starts this way, and he says, you have to be a shining light in the dark places. Are we, or are we just kind of less dark? He says to go be salt, remember? We preached over that for two weeks. Be salt in the world, on the earth. Do we? Do we pursue being salty? Or are we a little bit sugary because we're afraid of how we think other people are going to receive us? Before that, do you find true flourishing in God's 
understanding and God's prescription of how it is that we should flourish by being poor in spirit, by mourning. When, we are, when we're mourning, that he would call us blessed and flourishing, hungering and thirsting for righteousness, and being merciful, being pure in heart, being a peacemaker, and finally being persecuted for the sake of Jesus. See, if you were to give yourself a scorecard, I would imagine that you would really, if you would seriously take some indicators as to how you've been doing, living this out week in and week out, I would think you'd be a little bit overwhelmed to this point. Or if you're not overwhelmed, you're just a little bit more, well, self-confident than probably what we need to be. And either way, we end ourselves with, we really end our, that journey, that recap through the Sermon on the Mount, and we, I think we end right here perfectly, exactly where Jesus wants us to be. Like, how do we live this life that seems so impossible? You want me to do all this? No, no anger, no lust, no, no divorce, I got to give. I mean, all these things. I mean, I'm tired of hearing all that, Jesus. This is what we go to hear about all the time at church. Yeah, it, yeah. And he says to us today, ask. Seek. How are you going to do it? Ask. Seek. Knock. When you want to give up, ask. Seek. Knock. I don't know about you, but that has grown way too familiar in my spiritual life. So much so that I don't, I'm not real sure I, I really do that very often. Well, why is it that I don't do that? And I think this is where I think the questions that Jesus was asking me, I'm going to relay to you. And hopefully they land, and if they don't, maybe you just store it up in your journal or wherever, and you keep it for later. But first question I sense the Lord asking me, and I'm going to ask you today, is have you realized your needs You see, why aren't you a person who seeks? Why aren't you a person who's known for prayer? Why aren't we a church that's known for prayer? Why is it that we pray for 10 or 15 minutes? And the first thing I whispered to my wife was, well, that was long. Not, man, I I sensed the Lord doing something. Now, that was inconvenient. Why don't we do that? Why do we do that? Why don't we just simply seek longing and believing that God's going to listen? That he's going to answer our prayers, that our prayers matter to him. Ask, seek, knock. You see what he says right here in verses 7 through 8. Have you realized your need? Inherent behind these three commands is a deep need that we need to tap into. He says this, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For For everyone who asks receives. Here's the promise. For everyone who asks receives. The one who seeks he will find. And to the one who knocks, it will be opened. You see, we cannot not. I know it's a double negative and all you English teachers in the room, which my wife is one of them. She's not here, so I'm allowed to do this. Don't tell her that I said can't not not. We cannot not be lusty. We cannot not be angry, be selfish, stingy, greedy, self-reliant, self-indulgent, retaliatory, scorekeeping, anxious, and judgmental. We can't not do those things. We're, it's part of our nature That we're predisposed to do. So what do we do with this overwhelming list of things which Jesus has put before us? How can we ever live as someone who would flourish underneath his reign and rule? And he says, ask, seek, knock. In a world that is is convincing you day by day, with every breath that you breathe, that it can satisfy your needs with a click of a button... Jesus says there's something far greater than what Amazon can deliver to your home in two days or less. You see, that's, that's the trap right now in a consumeristic culture that's making it more and more convenient for you to just continue to consume. Is that we can satisfy all of our longings, all of our needs with a click of a button. 
And Jesus is going, no, there's things in your life that you could never solve. There's things in your life that you could never purchase enough goods from Amazon or, 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 or eat enough food that can be delivered to your door or get ready at the restaurant and bring home for your family. There's, there's enough here in Jesus that goes far beyond whatever you can order and bring to your home. So I have a question that's kind of beyond the question. What do you need? What does your soul need in this season? What does your soul need in this season coming up? Have you asked the Lord that question? See, I'm tempted to just kind of go, you know what? I don't know what I need, but I'm just going to keep pressing on. I'm going to keep working hard. I'm going to keep strategizing around church plants. I'm going to keep strategizing and partnering with some of these beautiful men and women that we partner with. That like You guys don't have names and faces with people like Caruso Grace and Sergio Garcia, who's laying his life on the line on the east end of Houston. I'm in a very tough place to do church planting. And he's on it, and he's in it, and he's doing it. And he's been doing it for a lot longer than we have. Are we asking, are we seeking, are we knocking, are we continuing to depend on him? What do we need? What are you crying out for Jesus to answer? You see, there are some problems that Google cannot answer for you. They can't fix it. YouTube can't fix everything for you. I don't know if you, where you go when I'm beyond my wisdom, but YouTube is my spot to fix my sink and my dryer and anything else I got going on in my house. But it can't fix your marriage. You can listen to all the sermons you want from Francis Chan and the Egriches and whomever else, and that will not fix your marriage if the Lord Jesus doesn't change your heart. It can't change your spouse's heart to all of a sudden love Jesus. All you, uh, and, and if you have just little kids in the house, and I'm just now starting to feel this, um, like there's just some things that are going to go beyond what you can fix with conventional wisdom with your family. Your kids are going to grow up, and all of a sudden... It's going to break loose in your home. And we saw that. If you're a partner of the Grove, you see that. All throughout Group Me, there's just some things you can do everything right. And it still fall away and not really just be what you thought it was going to be. And in that moment, in that moment, where will you go? Students, if you're here in this room, a time will come when you have done everything right. You have made all the grades. You have succeeded at all the sports. You've, you've done everything you can to succeed how you've been trained to succeed. And then what? When Instagram betrays you, when Facebook or the next whatever, TikTok, I forget that TikTok's a thing because we've just banned it from our existence. When TikTok and all the popularity and all the likes and all the hearts and all the follows all betray you, where will you go next? When you grow up and you go to college and you get that degree and you get that job, What's going to happen? I remember sitting with someone across the table uh, that used to be a part of our church. He was in his mid-50s, and he looked at me, and he goes, all right, I got more money than I've ever wanted. My wife is beautiful. My kids are great. Is this it? And I said, yeah. Yeah, man. This is it. He's like, but it doesn't feel like this is it. It feels like there's more to life. And I said, yeah, yeah, I know. Because that's actually not what God gave, gave you this life to do. He gave you this life to do these things for his glory. It's as C.S. Lewis says that if, if you have longings in your heart that this world cannot satisfy, then perhaps you were created for a different world. 
And there's a longing in us, is there not? But I wonder what we're doing with that longing. What will we do and where will we look? Have you realized your need or have you forgotten? Because if we have forgotten, we don't ask. We don't seek. We don't knock. We don't pray. We just become good with what we settle for whatever we can create instead of truly longing for what the Savior longs to give us, longs to give us. So have you realized your need? That's the first question that I sensed this week. The second question was this, have you forgotten God's posture? See, it's kind of a fascinating little, little story here that we just read in Matthew 7. Um, not just that we have needs and therefore we have to ask, seek, and knock, but that Jesus says something special here. It's an interesting thing, really, that Jesus says next. He, he doesn't say, have you forgotten God's rich supply, his ability to give you gifts? No, he says this about why we don't ask him for things. Do you know why? Because we don't trust his answer. We don't trust his character. That's why we don't pray. That's why we don't ask, why we don't seek. Look at what he says here in verses 9 through 11. Check this out. Or which, or which one of you, now, now granted, he says or here. It's, it's ESV says or. That word for or can also mean hey. So perhaps Jesus is on the Sermon on the Mount and he just like laid down for them all those things that overwhelmed us about not judging and not being lusty and not divorcing. And they, you know, you just get to the point in a sermon where you just got to yell at some people every once in a while and you just go, hey, let me get your attention here, y'all. Look, hey, look at what he says right here in 9. Hey, or which one of you... If his son asks him for bread, we'll give him a stone. Or, 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 hey, if he asks you for a fish, will you give him a serpent? Oh, and any gentle Jesus is going to rock you right here. You thought he was getting your attention before. Now he's really going to get your attention. If you then who are evil. Sorry, what? What did you say, gentle Jesus? Gentle Jesus is not allowed to call me evil. He's only allowed to say nice things to me. No, no. Gentle Jesus says, if then you who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? I've been reading the Bible with someone outside of our church on a regular basis, and we got to this point in Matthew, and he goes, hey, so um, he says that we're evil. Does he mean that? Yep. Every single letter of that word, every single so word of that sentence, he absolutely uh, believes and means this. He is jarring us into realizing something that we are unaware of. We have forgotten who God is, a rich and beautiful and generous God, especially in relation, and we only see that if we see who we are. And who are we? Evil. We're evil. Now, if you're below 30, you have no idea what I just did. And that's okay. We're evil. That's what Jesus says we are. Gentle Jesus means this, that we have, we have ever, if we've ever forgotten uh, the goodness of God, and we go, okay, like, yes, the goodness of God. Oh, man, he's so good. Look at how much more good he is than we who are evil. We love the first part. Yes, he's so good. Thank you, Lord, for being so good. But we don't want to juxtapose that against us who are evil. And we go, how dare you? That's so un-PC that we would call someone, we would judge someone. I mean, he just said not to judge someone. How can he then say we're evil? Because he's the king of the universe and he knows what's in our hearts. See, he knows that we're selfish. He knows that we're full of hubris and self-reliance. 
And yet even when, even we know how to care for those whom we love, right? Our children ask us for things, and we know how to give it to them. When my son asks me for a peanut butter sandwich, I say, you're six, make it yourself. But I used to not say that. I used to say, absolutely, man. Would you want a big one or a small one? Usually small. I know how to give him what he's asking for, and that's the whole point of Jesus' speech here in this part, right? He's trying to help us understand. If we can figure this out, God has it infinitely figured out. He knows exactly what we need. He knows exactly what we need. And so our, our children ask us for things. How much more will a good God, you see, we who are evil, we know how to good, give good gifts, but how much more will a good God give us these gifts? Jesus' label for us reminds us of our posture towards him, but it also reminds us of his posture towards sinners. You see, never forget, friends, that Jesus came to eat and dine with sinners. He came to invite the vagabond into a home with him. He came for the leper and cleansed them. He came for the orphan and invited them into his family. He came to those who were rejected, who those were, were, were spit out by society, and those are the ones he pursued and came for, which means he's including you. In his pursuit. Could you imagine if he only went to the Pharisees? Could you imagine if he only went to like Herod? Everyone, including us, would be like, oh, well, he's only coming for the rich, only coming for the privileged, only coming for the, for the righteous. No, no. He comes for the unrighteous. He comes for you. He comes for the sinner. He comes for the orphan, for the homeless, for the fatherless, for the motherless. And he says, everything you could ever desire is going to be found in me. You see, we so often forget that time, however long ago it was, that he called us by name. When we were running the other way, when we were wandering in the darkness and in the wilderness, I don't know about you, but it feels like for me, and perhaps this lands for someone in your family or for you, but it felt like for me I was running as fast as I could when I was not a believer. Like before I was a believer, I was running as fast as I could. And I was running, man. I was going, and I was doing everything I could to kind of make life work. And at the end of it, I didn't realize this, but I was on a treadmill. I didn't go anywhere. I was making no progress in life. I was just getting more and more tired. And Jesus just flips on the light, and he's sitting there rocking on one of these rockers that we got. He's like, are you done yet? You tired? Let me know when you want me to hit the emergency off switch so you don't fall and break your nose. Or maybe he'll just let me fall and break my nose. So that I can see him, so that I can experience him, so I can understand what his posture is before me, that he is with us. He is patiently enduring our rebellion. And so he continues to say before us, ask, seek, knock. You who are evil, you know how to do these things. How much more is my posture towards those who consistently run from me? See, Moses asked me the other day if, um, if he could have a yes day. Do you know what a yes day is? What are y'all teaching our children? Y'all know what this is. I didn't know what it was. I said, bro, what are you talking about? He goes, you know, it's just where you say yes. I can just ask you whatever I want. And you just say yes. And I go, okay, well, let's start today. No. <laughs> Absolutely not. Not because I don't love you, but because that feels exhausting to me. But God doesn't get exhausted. 
He wants us to go to him and ask him for crazy things like, hey, could I just have a yes day on Friday? Could I have a yes month? And he'll give you what we need. Not going to give us all the sugar and all the things that he was going to want that day. I don't, who knows what he was storing up? I have no idea, but I'm sure it's going to come out. It's going to get trickled out, not just in a day, but months. You see, you and I have prayed prayers in our early 20s where we thought we knew what we wanted, right? We prayed with all of our hearts for that interview at that dream job to go well, and you bombed it. I've done that one. We've prayed, we've prayed to marry someone only for them to break up with you. We prayed for this person to live only to see them and watch them die. We have prayed so many prayers, and God has seemingly not given us any answer, but he does give us answers. Every prayer, he says, will be answered. Ask, seek, knock. And the promise in verse 8, everyone who asks, receive. The one who seeks, finds. And the one who knocks, it will be opened. What God is saying is that he is consistently hearing the prayers of his people. But the answer isn't always exactly what we'd hoped for. It's not because he's ignoring us. It's not because he's too busy, like the false prophets on the Mount Carmel with Baal, right? It's like, that's not what he's not. He's not asleep. Remember this story, like when, when Elijah is doing all his things and he accuses the false prophets of Baal. And he goes, perhaps your God is relieving himself. You've got to love the Bible. Right? He's too busy. He's, maybe he's just doing that. No, no, God is never too busy for you. He's consistently answering your prayers. This is the point. God's answer is yes to everything that we pray, but it's not necessarily the yes that we'd hoped for. He's consistently seeing the end before it begins. And there's a lot of beauty in that, friends. Could you imagine if he answered every prayer with a, with a real yes like we thought he was going to answer? He's answering now. Yes, Lord. Could you imagine if he said yes, like we hoped he would say, to every prayer that we prayed? Would it not be paralyzing that he gave us all the things that we've ever asked for? It would be paralyzing to our prayer life. Instead, he withholds his yes, he delays his yes, or he just his yes is a no in so many ways. So that we can be freed up to ask and not wonder really anything. Instead, we are freed up to ask according to his good character, Lord. Will you do these things? According to your will, will you do these things? See, that's the second question that I sense that just like, man, have I forgotten God's posture? If I don't pray to him, perhaps I've just forgotten how much he really is for me. We can sing canvas in the clay, but do we live canvas in the clay? The song that we sang, uh, the second song that we sang today, right? Like, like, do I really believe that you are for me and for my future? Or can I secure a better future on my own? Do we believe he is good? Do we believe he's infinitely wise? Do we believe his posture is for you? And then finally, last question. Have you given up? Have you given up on him? Have you quit asking him? You can see another passage in, uh, I believe it's Luke 18, where it talks about the, the parable or the story of the persistent widow who continues to just keep praying and praying and praying until finally you just you give up. And you're like, oh my gosh, this woman is going to bother me forever. This is like the parable. I better answer her. 
we would be a persistent people, but have you, have you given up? Have you given up on your spouse? Have you given up on your kid? Have you given up on your boss? Have you given up church, planning a church? What's before you? Have you given up starting that business? Have you given up finding that calling or that career path? Have you given up on not being lusty? Have you given up on, on like not ending relationships that don't go your way? Have you given up? And the way I want to end today is just truly by, by just reading Scripture over us. And as we read Scripture, would you guys seek? Would you guys ask? Would you knock? You see this progression, right, of asking. I'm just going to ask. You guys know where this is? And then I'm going to seek. All right, now that I know where you guys think it is or, Lord, where you say it is, I'm going to go seek that out. I'm going to get on this journey, and I'm actually going to go do something. And then when I get in the vicinity, am I going to be, be, be okay, content with being in the vicinity of where I thought I was supposed to go? Or am I going to go knock on the door and ask the Lord to open it up for me? I don't know where you are in that journey if you've not asked, if you've not got up and actually sought out what he wants, or if you've just sought it out and you've just stopped a little short in knocking. I just wonder if you've given up. And whatever it is, the longing in your heart to be more, whatever, more mature in your faith, that's going to mean that you're probably going to lose some friends along the way. If you're going to be more mature in the faith, if I can have more time with my spouse, might mean you get laid off because now you got some time. You see, God will answer our prayers in ways that we never intended, but when he does, are we aware enough to see that his gift is good? If you who are evil know how to give good gifts, how much more your heavenly Father knows how to give good gifts. So if we feel like we've given up, let me just put before us a few pieces of Scripture. Let's just ask. Let's seek. Let's knock. 2 Corinthians 3, 18. Perhaps it will come up on the screen. If you are frustrated with your pace of growth, <laughs> that's me. If you are frustrated with your pace of growth, 2 Corinthians 3.18 would say this, And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of God, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. This comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. One degree of glory to another. One degree of glory might take a year. Might take ten years might take five minutes. One degree of glory to another. Lord, help us. Help us not stay, not be frustrated in this pace of growth that you would have for us. Help us trust you as we continue to struggle with the pleasures of this world and the flesh in our hearts. To those who don't see the point of any of this, you, you, you've done everything you can. If you don't see the point of Christianity, if you think just church membership is a bunch of hocus-pocus that we just do for a crutch to feel better about ourselves, or perhaps you've been doing this for a long time and you don't, just don't see the point. 1 Corinthians 15, 58. Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast. Who are you laboring for? Besides your kids, besides your spouse, is it your coworker? Is it someone on the softball or baseball field? Who are you laboring for? Be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. Lord, help us see that our labor isn't in vain if it is in, your, in the Lord. 
our labor at work, our labor for the souls of others, our labor for, the, for our kids to come and know you, to come repent, to come back home, whatever it may be, Lord, help us. Help us remember, help us have faith that goes beyond what we can see, that you are working. To those who simply want to give up, Galatians 6 verse 9 would say, And let us not grow weary in doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. Lord, help us not give up. Help us see that due season. Help us work now. Help us put seeds in the earth now so that months later we might see a harvest. Help us do the work of a farmer when we start spreading the gospel to those that we love. Where we may never see the growth. We may never see it, but you see it. You see what's happening in the earth. You see what's happening beyond what we can see. And you say in due season there will be a harvest. So let us be generous, Lord. Help us not give up. To those who feel alone and tired of walking with Jesus. Hebrews 12 uh, verses 1 and 2 would say this. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses. Y'all, you're surrounded by a cloud of witnesses. That includes Moses and Abraham and all the people in Hebrews 11. That hall of faith. But it also includes us. That we're watching, and, and, and you're watching me, and hopefully we're just cheering one another on. Look at what it says, that we are surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses. Let us then all lay, lay aside every weight, every sin which clings so closely. Yes, it's here, but let's lay it aside. Let's get rid of it. Let us run with endurance. Don't give up. Don't give up. It's a marathon. Let's keep going. Let's run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus. Well, how can we do this? We look to him, the founder, perfecter of our faith, for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Lord, help us be a people. As we close this morning, help us be a people that don't get tired, that don't get weary. And if we are weary, we, we hold truths to these scriptures. We hold truths to the promise that you're going to hear us that our Father is good, that He's present. He knows how to give good gifts to us. Lord, if we have been a people, if we're in this room that we've given up, remind us that you haven't given up on us. Remind us that you, we haven't, you haven't given up on us. That's the whole point, Lord, of you saying we're evil, is that our prayers being answered doesn't depend on if we're good enough for you to answer them. You know what's in our hearts, and you've not given up on us. If we've silently, silently concluded that none of this matters, Lord, make the presence of your Son louder and louder. Make the message of your Son, Jesus, resonate deeper and deeper into our hearts. If we've been beat down by life and are discouraged, Holy Spirit, the great encourager, the one who literally means come alongside us. Holy Spirit, remind us is that you're in, you're in us. You're for us. You're fighting for us. You're our advocate. You're doing everything possible to let us see God's goodness. Remind us. Testify to us today, Abba. Testify to us today that you are, are, are ours and that we are yours testify to us today that we are your children. And as a result, may we ask, may we persevere, may we seek, may we understand our needs 
May we, may we knock, understanding that you have a posture that is held out for us to love us, to provide for us, to care for us as a father cares for his, his children. Let us never give up the hard work of pursuit and prayer. Our Father who's in heaven will hear us. He will answer us. The Bible says that he will provide more than we could ever ask or imagine. So no matter really where we are on this journey, if we're like energized and we're, we're good to go, we haven't even thought about giving up or we gave up a long time and we're just coming because somebody else told us to, God is near. God invites you near to him. He came to dine with sinners, pursuing you, knowing your name before you even had a name. He's been coming for us for a long time, and I pray that we would respond to him, remembering his goodness and his posture before us. In Jesus' name, amen.